want to do the intro. No, I want to say the intro. It's Smanners! Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Our baby's having some allergy things or a cold thing. Something. She ain't happy. And uh, she's turning into Dot is a bit of like um, how I imagine it is like living with the Dowager from... Uh, <laughs> From Down Abbey, where it's like, now do this. Oh, the temperature's too hot. Now it's too cold. I'm hungry. I don't want this food. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit like it. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard in the world today to to feel like you're effectual in anything. Yep. And then I have a toddler screaming on me for the last Put two days. Put me down. Pick me up. Put me down, Mommy. Now hold me to the side. And it, it really only just reinforces the futility. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But. Here we are. We're not here to talk about our whiny baby. <laughs> I feel terrible. She doesn't feel good. She's she got faceful snot all the time. Not only does she not feel good, but she's tired of not feeling good. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, it's that feeling we, I think we all feel when you don't feel good. I'm just like, I want this to be done. But filtered through an 18-month-old brain. <laughs> she's like, this is forever. <laughs> Anywho, anyway. we're talking about rivalries. Before we got started, Teresa and I were talking a little bit like, well, is it feuds? Is it rivalry? And I'm, I, I think it's semantic. But for me, a rivalry is like we are competing. And right. a feud to me is like we are fighting. Exactly. Um, I would say that because the people we're going to talk about um, are mostly contemporaries of each other, like they are in the same profession, uh, that I'm going to say it's a rivalry, whereas a feud might just be two strangers yelling at each other. Yeah, I think you could feud with someone that you compete against, but I think it would have to be deeper than just like, I want to be better than them, right? Yeah. I think it would have to be like, I want to ruin their life. Exactly. Right? So I think that there, like, there were the two, like, maybe we'll talk about the paleontologists that I think, like, that probably escalated to feud. Uh, but, like, for example, um, 2004, I want to say, season, uh, Yankees and Red Sox, like, that's all rivalry, right? right? Like, they weren't killing each other in the streets, uh, a la Hatfields and McCoys or Montagues and Capulets. <gasps> We're going to talk about the Hatfields and the well, McCoys. Yeah, we would have to. That, <laughs> that's a few. That's a few. That's a few. Okay. But it has to be like something about like, this is my rifle. This is my, yeah. but for me, when I think of rivalry, I think of it very much with like we're competing to be the best and feud is like, oh no, I hate this person and I wish they were dead. Exactly. In fact, if I could, I, I would kill them. I will kill them. We'll see. Okay. Okay. All right. Have you ever feuded? Have you ever rivaled with anybody? Yeah, I have. <gasps> so I have spoken at length about my uh, my prose poetry. I knew it was going to be speech, speech and debate. Speech and debate. I and knew it was going to be speech and debate. There was this girl named Audrey at a neighboring school. And, you, of course, we always went to the same, the same like, competitions. And we 
traded back and forth, first and second, first and second, first and second, all year. Um, and finally, we both qualified for state, and I, I beat her out. Yeah, so you she did. got fourth, and I got third in the state. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever cared about anything enough to have a rifle. <laughs> I mean, I, probably if I've ever had a rifle, it's been completely imagined on my side. Oh. You know? I mean, we were very kind to each other, and it really goes, I mean, prose poetry, more about- The bloodthirsty <laughs> world of prose poetry. I mean, it's more about, like, the judge's preferences at oh, that point, absolutely. right? As long as you follow all the rules and you're entertaining, it's more about what the judge wants than anything else. So it was all a matter of taste. I'll never you got forget. first or second. I did uh, HIDI, which is Humorous Interpretation, Dramatic Interpretation, which is basically like doing a scene where you play all the parts and mm-hmm. talk to yourself. And I'll never forget doing this competition where the judge, just before we started, like looked at her sheet and said, ah, oh, four DIs and one HI. Guess who was the HI? <laughs> oh, good. I prefer dramatic. And I was like, okay. Guess who's coming in fifth in this round? <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so. Okay. Where are we starting? Um, first, I do want to make a small disclaimer. We like to uh, to lead by example. Schmanners is about, you know, getting along in the world. Uh, but even the people that, you know, we might consider schmannerly can't aren't schmannerly like yeah. all the time. Yeah. Right. So so some you might run into one of your faves, but that doesn't make them problematic. OK. Yeah. And just, uh, I believe it was uh, R.E.M. that said, everybody beefs sometimes. Mm. Yeah. The first one I want to talk about is Edgar Allan Poe and Rufus W. Griswold. I think I know this one. Thank you, Drunk History. Mm, Indeed. Yes, I do recommend the Drunk History episode. Uh, It is entertaining and excellently informative. So wasn't Rufus like an editor or publisher or something? Exactly. Um, so he was a literary critic, uh, and he the, the main thing that he did is he published anthologies, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he included three of Poe's poems in the anthology The Poets and Poetry of America. But they were kind of added as an afterthought, and they didn't really, like, gel with the rest of the poems, and it was met with mixed reviews. Um, and Poe, at this point, was already established and influential, and he began to publicly question the quality of poets that Griswold surrounded himself with mm-hmm. um, claiming the anthologies weren't meant to be a collection of geniuses geniuses rather uh, Poe thought that it was more of a platform for his friends well yeah I mean yeah that, listen I'm not saying that the two are mutually exclusive right you're gonna have genius friends I have lots of genius friends right uh, but yeah I mean yeah <laughs> listen if I if someone said like I was about to say that if someone gave me the opportunity to publish like works, I would immediately reach out to my friends. But that's mostly probably because I wouldn't know what I was doing. Oh, okay. Hey, do any of you know how to write stuff? <laughs> I don't know who to call. What do I do? Uh, and and this... Rufus was also pretty critical of Poe, right? Indeed. Yeah. So it didn't get any better when uh, he asked Poe, uh, more like bribed him, to get a positive review 
for his anthology. Um, he accepted the bribe and wrote a lukewarm review of the book. That'll show him. Which did not sit well with Griswold, um, who had been telling everyone that the famous Edgar Allan Poe was reviewing the work. Mm. Okay. Can I just say, this kind of seems a little petty on Poe's part. I mean, a little I bit. Was al- I was all ready to like side with Poe because there's lots of Edgar Allan Poe works that I really thoroughly enjoy. But this kind of sounds like Poe was like, me, <laughs> how dare you? People don't like my, my works, huh? Well, that's because this guy is bad. Okay. Um, and it really only got worse. It, the pettiness continued. Um, so from 1843 to 1845, Poe went on a lecture tour to discuss his writings. And it was very successful. Uh, but uh, Poe used some of his time to publicly gossip about Gritzwald's uh Less than stellar poetry. Wow. Anthologies. Okay, look I'm saying. Poe is not coming off like a shiny diamond here. Of course not. Um, and that made Griswold even angrier because he knew that now, regardless of Poe's criticism, he would have to include Poe in all of the next anthologies uh, because he was too popular to be excluded. So his books wouldn't sell if he didn't put Poe in, but he doesn't like Poe because Poe talks bad about him. See, this is where I wish I could travel back in time to Griswold and be like, here's all you got to do. You got to be like, I don't know why he's so mad at me. I love his work. And guess what? You're right on top, baby. Um, so the biggest, the biggest hit uh, in this, this verbal boxing match occurred. Fairly one-sided if it sounds like. Okay, well, go on. Okay. Well. Okay. Griswold got Poe in the obituary. <gasps> what? He uh, wrote, he completely slandered Poe's name. He wrote uh, false claims about saying that he was homicidal, that he was crazed, that Poe was addicted to drugs, all of which, of course, became part of his lore for many years, yeah. despite the fact that it was all untrue. Okay. But it doesn't end there. <gasps> Because then Poe's ghost haunted him. <laughs> that would that would make sense. That would be a uh, weird twist for Schmanners to go in, huh? Well, the scandalous tone of the obituary only made Poe's work more compelling. Yep. and drove his posthumous uh, popularity. Yep. So he thought that he burned him, but he did not. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You know. Yeah. It gone and went. Yep. Okay. Next, next one? Yeah, who's next? Next is Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots. Now this, this is about who's the real queen. Indeed, indeed. Um, and not just like in a reality show way. Of course not. Okay. Um, Don't say of course, I might Well, be. I mean. The, the royalty was kind but, of the first reality show. But the thing show. is, they never even met. Regardless of what you've seen in the movies, they didn't know each other. I they don't were, really watch movies. Okay, well, they were raised... I'm more of a classical literature kind of person. Countries apart. Okay. Um, so, uh, both women were female monarchs in a rough time to be female monarchs, of course. And Do you they, mean any time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they both had plausible rights to the English crown. Um, they were of the same tree, one would say. Um, but she was, uh, Elizabeth, was the daughter of King Henry VIII, but yeah. was a Protestant heir uh-huh. because of the king, right? right. Uh, born of Anne Boleyn. Because the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Anne Boleyn, who w- nobody really liked 
right? So she was also not the first wife; she was the second. second. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Elizabeth was the oldest of all of his. Sure, 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 children. sure, sure. But if you, I have to imagine that if you're a Catholic, mm-hmm. then you're like, well, but that then child was born out of wedlock because right. he didn't really. He was still with Catherine of Aragorn, yes. not Aragorn. That's the character <laughs> from Fellowship of the Rings. But so you may not even recognize Elizabeth I as a legitimate heir. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so Mar- I know my history thanks to Shakespeare. <laughs> Go on. Mary was King Henry VIII's niece. Okay, and uh, in contrast, where Elizabeth I was kind of like pushed out of the way to kind of keep her safe in a way, like she uh, didn't really grow up knowing her father, and she was Probably even for the best. Um, she was even kind of like pulled away from him for fear of what might happen. Um, So uh, her childhood was scarce and lonely. But um, Mary, on the other hand, was the golden child of the royal family. She had a lavish and comfortable and beloved childhood. So she was raised like fully royal. Exactly. Uh, And she was often like, to her face, told that she had the right to the throne mm. as a beloved woman of royal blood as well as Catholic, like you said. Do you know how many times someone would have to tell me that I had a right to a royal throne before it became a deal? Just once. One time. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even have to finish the sentence. You know, you could have a right to the <laughs> Travis's out the door. <laughs> they never met in person, like I, like I said, uh, but they corresponded for decades, constantly engaging in verbal boxing matches over yeah. the English crown. And uh, the feud ended when Mary was beheaded. Yeah, that'll happen. Because Elizabeth... Had it done. Beheaded her. <laughs> Not right yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah had yeah, it yeah, done. Yeah. Had it done. That would be a much different ending. It was like, and then Elizabeth burst through the door with an axe. <laughs> and it was the first time they met, and the last time. Yeah. Okay, how many of these end with, and then it ended when one of them died? Um, Most of them? All of them? them, All of them? Okay. (laughs) Well, everybody dies. What? Probably. Sure, just because everyone has doesn't mean that everyone will. Thank you. Hey, don't say it like that. That's true. That's not... Okay. Okay. It's the only thing keeping me going, Teresa. Okay, give me another one. Uh, um, have you guys, you guys might have heard of this one. Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. I don't know who that is. Can you well, I, I mean, I can definitely refresh your Oh, your wait, I know what you're talking about because Aaron Burr is the one from the Got Milk commercial where the guy eats the big piece of peanut yeah. butter bread. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, boom, oh, boom. That one. Because he doesn't have any milk. Because he didn't have any milk to wash down the peanut butter bread with. It's very funny. So If hilarious. you guys haven't seen it, it was the beginning of the Got Milk campaign, and that was what made Aaron Burr famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, JK, JK, JK. Uh, you have probably heard about Hamilton by Lin Manuel Miranda. Wahoo! I'm telling our audience. They I don't know what this heard. is. Okay, uh, I'm more of a classic literature kind of person. Mm, I don't mm-hmm. really watch what is that theater? <laughs> oh no, theaters so, for the lower classes. So these two quote founding fathers, um, they had very similar political tracks, right? Um, and personality-wise, they really didn't get along very well. Uh, Hamilton was kind of like loud and opinionated. And he wasn't and... willing to wait for it. 
<laughs> okay. And um, so, and Burr was much more private and methodical, a real people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So they had a tenuous friendship um, because they ran in the same circles, but uh, it became a full-blown fight when Aaron Burr lost his presidential and gubernatorial run because of Hamilton. Mm. Um, Hamilton was friends with the rich and powerful uh, in the Federalist Party. And he was actually asked about Burr as a candidate. And um, even though he had known Burr for years, he said that he was someone who should not be elected. Uh, because he didn't firmly fight for anything. Um, and Alexander went so far as to call him despicable. Now that, okay, that part's bad. Because I was going to say, I have lots of friends that if someone was like, do you think that that guy should be president? I'd be like, no! <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, not at all! I love him, but should he be president? No! Yeah. But then I wouldn't be like, because they're terrible. But mostly like, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? You got fired from Quiznos. Shouldn't be president. <laughs> so they had a duel um, and in New Jersey on July 11th, 1804. How'd it end? Uh, well, Aaron Burr shot him. Spoilers. Because Hamilton uh, was more inclined to think about their history together. And it's said that he shot straight up while Aaron Burr shot to kill. No one saw that coming. Okay. Now, a thank you note for our sponsors. I want to tell you about Curology. I'm going to be honest, folks. I'm going to lay my heart bare before you. And I'm staring directly at Teresa as I do it because she is going to be your avatar as I confess (laughs) this thing to her. I'm ready. And that is, I have some skin problems sometimes. Yeah, that's hard for me. Sometimes it's dry skin. Sometimes it's breakouts. Uh, and so that was why I was really excited to start working with Curology. Because Curology helps me take control of my skin, which is a weird way to say it, but I think you know what I mean. Curology matches you with a licensed dermatology provider who gets to know your skin, and if it's a good fit, you'll get a customized prescription cream to address your acne, fine lines, dark spots, and more shipped right to your door. So I, on a regular basis, get this stuff that's formulated right for me, right? So I know that it's gonna give my skin what it needs and not stuff it doesn't, or worse, stuff my skin, like, will make my skin worse. You know what mm. I mean? Because sometimes in the past, I've used, like, acne control stuff that's just dried out my skin, and it's made the dry skin even worse. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so take control of your acne, dark spots, breakouts, or whatever your unique concerns may be with a powerful skincare treatment made for you today. Go to Curology.com schmanners for fr- free 30-day trial and just pay for shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash schmanners to unlock your free 30-day trial. See Curology.com for all the details. We also want to tell you about Ruby Coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we might even be running low on our favorite, which is they have the... Steepable? The Steepable Cold Brew. Oh, okay. Here's the thing. This happens to us a lot where, uh, you know, your kid starts screaming and wakes you up at like 6 o'clock in the morning. And you, being a wonderful partner, are like, I'm going to let my partner sleep. I'm going to go downstairs. Oh, man, I really want some coffee. 
but I don't want to go through the process, all the banging, or in our case, grinding, because yes, I'm very bougie, and I grind the coffee at home from Hobie's. Yes, I know. Don't you judge me. Or in my case... I'm intimidated by the coffee maker, so I don't like to use it. This is also true. So that's why uh, one of the things that Ruby offers is basically it's just like a tea bag. So it's just coffee in a tea bag. So it's coffee in a bag. It's a steepable coffee. You make coffee. It's wonderful. It's one of the best. <laughs> it's one of the best innovations of the 21st century. Not only that, Ruby also has a coffee lineup which is designed around complex, dynamic coffees while making sure that our roasting profiles makes these coffees easy to brew and enjoy. The subscription sends freshly roasted beans directly to you or order bags whenever you'd like without the subscription. And like I said, that steeped often ooh, features two different coffee blends. It's a single serve, individually packed coffee bag similar to a tea bag. All you need to do is add hot water and let it steep for five minutes. And it's a small coffee roasting company, and it's it's out of Nelsonville, Wisconsin, population 191. So you know that they're pretty focused on what they're doing. <laughs> Doesn't sound like there's a lot else to do in Nelsonville. So go check out Ruby. But there's a lot to do if you like what you do. This is so. true, beautiful. So go to rubycoffeeroasters.com and use code SCHMANNERS to get 20% off your first shipment of any subscription or 15% off a one-time coffee purchase. One more time, that's rubycoffeeroasters.com. Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, oh, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Who else was beefing, Teresa? Who else be beefing? Well, earlier you mentioned the dinosaur, the the fossil race. The paleontologist, yes. Yes. Um, there were... Or as I call them, dinosaur dig doctors. Yeah. They were actually, they kind of developed a reputation for getting into feuds with lots of people. Oh, uh, really? So Richard Owen versus Charles Darwin. Wait, no, I'm thinking of a different one. Oh, you are? Yeah, there was like a paleontologist. I'm going to look it up because there was like two paleontologists. I am a paleontologist. But there were these two paleontologists that were like feeding so bad that like one of them dynamited, like blew up another one's dig site and destroyed all the pounds <laughs> oh, in it yikes. and all this stuff. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. So I'm going to talk about this feud while you do that. Um, so Darwin, uh, who is, of course, famous for the origin of species, uh, brought back a lot of specimens from his expedition to the Galapagos and um, asked Richard Owen, who was basically, you know, one of the the OGs for dinosaur research, um, to help him with the, the specimens, right? Um, but the problem is... Darwin didn't credit Owen for the research mm. that they worked on together, um, and he didn't like it. Didn't like that. Uh, and he was so enraged that Richard Owen began to write reviews of Darwin under a pseudonym disparaging him and his research. The two engaged in the feud that played out in the Sunday morning newspapers for quite a long time. Here's the kicker, though. 
Richard Owen largely agreed with all of Darwin's findings. So he really liked the research. He liked the ideas. He just wanted a slice of that fame pie. Well, he blew it. You know, you blew it. You come up against Darwin. Darwin's going to ruin you. going to crush you. That's called survival of the fittest. <laughs> all right. Here we go with uh, the one from your neck of the woods. Wait, but first I want to tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, about yeah. the bone wars. Okay, bone wars. That's what they were called. Um, it was two competing paleontologists, uh, also known as the Great Dinosaur Rush. Mm. Uh, and it was Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh. Wow. Uh, and they used underhanded methods to try to outdo each other. Uh, they bribed uh, people working for them. They uh, blew up dig sites. Uh, they stole bones from one another. And basically, so both of them like financed their digs with their own money. But then also we're using their money to like place ads and like articles in newspapers to discredit the other one. Basically, in this rush to uh, to outcompete one another, they basically ruined each other. Right, mm. we both went bankrupt doing this. But in the process, it led to this huge boom in uh, like knowledge of like dinosaur. There were uh, because of the Bone Wars, uh, 136 new species of dinosaurs were discovered. Um, so it was like huge, but both men because like imagine the power, how well it would have gone if they worked together. Oh, totally. But, but because like they were competing against it, they ruined each other's yeah. lives just trying to be the best dinosaur finder. Mm -hmm. The bone wars. The bone wars. Uh, can you tell us what you know about the Hatfields and the McCoys? Um, so I know that it is a very large, two very large families, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, one in some kind of fight killed the other, and then it just became a very, very bloody, uh, family versus family feud, uh, which led to the game show, uh, no, uh, it, <laughs> and then, like, they just kept killing one another, uh, for a long time. They did. Uh, so it takes place over opposite sides of the border stream of between Logan County, West Virginia, and Pike County, Kentucky. Uh, they had a tenuous relationship at first, uh, but it said that the feud exploded when there was a dispute over a hog. Mm -hmm. In 1878. That's my motorcycle. No, that's my motorcycle. No, a, a pig. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. And they fought viciously for decades, uh, the worst of which is recorded as New Year's Day, 1888, that left several family members of the McCoys dead. Yep. So it was definitely violent, right? But this may have been like the original like media fake news. Not exactly. But so here's the thing, right? By the 20th century, the feud had, like, completely subsided. They had, I, I mean, intermarried between each other. And, I mean, their families were intertwined at they this chilled. point. Yeah. The beef had cooled. No more sizzling beef. But the press made out the dispute to, I, I mean, to sell papers. It's interesting. Really, like, <laughs> uh, and it would it would just turn into, like, a public, like, what What do you call it when, like, everybody believes the same lie? Oh, it's a, uh, oh, oh, no, urban legend. No. Oh. 
a the public imagination common misconception maybe that's it sure oh, that's not really what i was thinking no can you give me any other hints um it's like it's like those quotes that everyone says is by Einstein, but it's not by Einstein. Oh, a lie. No. No. Yes. I okay. mean, yes, a lie. Okay. Also, like... Ugh. Are we feeding right now? No, is that what this is? We're not. I'm giving up. Hey, if you can think of what Teresa's <laughs> thinking of, tweet at us at Schmannerscast. Okay. Um... Edison and Tesla are next. Yeah, okay. I know about this one because from Doctor of- Who. Oh. Sorry. Bob, Bob's Burgers. No, you okay? Yeah. No, a Bob's. They Bur- don't talk about this in yes, Bob's Burgers. Yes, they do. No, they talk about Edison shocking Topsy. I don't. And they th- did, and he did that as part of his oh, DC current is true. the best kind of current, which Tesla was like. No, AC current is the best kind of current. Yeah. Tesla even worked for Edison for a while, but Edison was like, get out the way. Yeah. So they mostly just, you know, tried to one-up each other in these, like, grotesque experiments. Except the thing is, Tesla was right. He was right. Alternating current is way better than direct current. I agree. Way better. What, Teresa? I've often heard you say that you think direct current is better. (laughs) (laughs) They were both, in 2016, uh, awarded posthumous. Posthumous. I've said that so many times. Posthumous. I think you're worried about all the syllables. You just got to go posthumous. Posthumous. Uh, Nobel Prizes for their contributions in physics. Yeah. Well, they were both geniuses. Tesla and Marshall. But... Uh, you know, Tesla just didn't have the same, I would say, business savvy that Edison did. And so uh, he didn't have the money to uh, finance all of his weird stuff. Yeah, he didn't have the rep, I would say. Well, I mean, that's a Edison, lot of that is due to Einstein, who had the money to ruin his reputation. Not Einstein, Edison. No, Einstein did it too. <laughs> Einstein was a big jerk. Let's move on. I've just decided I'm feuding with Einstein. Oh, you are? I won't stop until he's dead. <laughs> uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. What? Um, so it went Joan on. Joan hated Betty's eyes. I mean, I don't, I don't know about that, but it, it had a lot to do with um, romance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's said that it started in 1932 when Betty Davis fell in love with her co-star, Franchot Tone, on the set of the movie Dangerous. Joan Crawford then married him shortly after the film wrapped. Mm. Yeah. Um, And the two happened to work together in 1962, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, What did ever happen to Baby Jane? Okay. And this is where the rumor mill really got to grinding. Um, I wish you all could have seen the move that Teresa just did. She kind of did like a chugga chugga choo choo thing with her arm (laughs) to represent grinding. It was great. Yeah, because it was a mill. Grind stuff. Yeah, but I don't think a mill works like that. I think a mill is more circular. I was doing circular. No, you weren't. Just... You were. You were doing. Okay, I'm. But I'm saying you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Are we feuding? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, the rumor says that they quite literally came to blows um, and that Davis kicked Crawford so hard in the head that they need that she needed to go get stitches. What? Uh, and, you know, uh, that all of the, the slaps in the movie are just, you know, one harder than the other, trying to one-up each other. Anyway, the Oscar season of that year came around Uh um, and Betty was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress and And Crawford Crawford was not what? (laughs) Key grip (laughs) she was nominated for both she was she she did a lot of jobs no Um, and so Joan hatched a plan so that she would be able to go on stage to accept the award on behalf of Anne Bancroft, who actually won that year. Uh, And it was meant to be a kind of, um, I don't know, middle finger to to both the Academy that snubbed her and, of course, to Betty Davis. Um, And Betty would blame Joan for her Oscar loss until the day she died. Okay. How was it Joan's fault? I mean, it really, it wasn't. But she blamed her for But it. she blamed her she for it. She associated. Okay, got it, got it. But here's the thing, right? I mean, they definitely talked about each other. There are some great, like, YouTube videos and stuff of their interviews. But, like, here's the thing. Uh, they were largely fighting for fame and power, but Hollywood probably just mysticized it for money. Well, yeah, you got to think, man, like, this is the thing about rivalries, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's. I think it is, since uh, the, the invention of any kind of, like, public media, right, mm-hmm. impossible to separate fact from fiction. Because you sell tickets, you sell papers, you sell right. whatever off of this idea. I mean, think about in sports, right, mm-hmm. how many, like, if you have a sports team in your town, Chances are there is a perceived rivalry with another sports team so that when that other sports team and your sports team are playing, you're more likely to buy tickets, right? Mm -hmm. I think about, like, how many rivalries do you think the Yankees have going in any given time? You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, I want to say that the Pittsburgh Steelers have, like, 18 rivalries with 18 different (laughs) football teams if you ask those other football teams, right? It's just – yeah, it's all – but is that to say that that those teams – don't dislike each other? No, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Well, but. there's evidence that uh, Betty Davis may have not even disliked Joan at all because there are recordings of her saying that she had deep respect for Joan as a professional. And there's even an interview where Johnny Carson asks her point blank, who is the worst person you've ever worked with? And without missing a beat, she says, one million dollars, Faye Dunaway. Oh, okay. So she didn't even mention Joan. Oh. See, I would have said Lassie. Oh. Oh. Mm. Lassie and I did a picture together, two-hander. And, uh, well, I guess you say one hand and one paw. And it was, ugh, it was really rough. Here's the last You're not one. You're going to ask me more questions about it? Nope. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Teresa? Yeah, I know. I heard you. It was rough. I heard you. I guess I'm barking up the wrong tree. Yep. Okay, let's pause this bit. You got it. Yeah. For real. Got her. Gosh darn it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor versus Debbie Reynolds. Okay. Um, Like a lot of things related to Elizabeth Taylor, this also has a romantic element. (laughs) Okay. 
That became <laughs> I like for three seconds. It was a musical number. It was. Okay. Okay. So they had been longtime friends. And uh, what happened was Debbie Reynolds' husband, Eddie Fisher, walked out on her for Elizabeth. Well. Uh, because reportedly the affair began when Eddie came to Elizabeth's side as a friend in 1959 when her husband at the time, uh, Mike Todd, passed. And he did a really great job because I guess they fell in love. That's some good comforting right there. Years later, Elizabeth divorced Eddie, uh, and Elizabeth and Debbie decided to reconcile. And Debbie revealed in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that she and Elizabeth were both booked on the same cruise in 1966. And they commiserated over Eddie, uh, saying that Elizabeth never really loved him. She, he was kind of a rebound relationship and you know they said the two of them Debbie and and Elizabeth said that their friendship was worth more than any man Um, and they remained friends for the rest of their lives Uh, they starred together in 2001 in a film based off their friendship called These Old Broads uh, which was written by uh, somebody you might have heard of um, Lin-Manuel Miranda Debbie and Eddie's daughter Carrie Fisher. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I would like to leave you. With, what? What? No. With I know we've been refuting <laughs> this whole episode, but please, Amy, not like this. Not you. Oh, okay. The audience, you, okay. uh, with some very quippy, famous quotes. Okay. Uh, Lady Nancy Astor said to Winston Churchill, who will come up again and again. Uh, <clears throat> you got a real stink face, Churchill. No, no. 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 Winston, if you were my husband, I'd poison your coffee. To which Churchill replied, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. it. Well, clever. And that's a good setup, though, I mean, frankly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's another one with Churchill. George Bernard Shaw wrote to him saying, I've enclosed two tickets for the first night of my new play. Bring a friend if you have one. Mm-hmm. To which Churchill replied, Regrettably, I cannot attend the first night. I will attend the second, if there is one. Oh, oh, oh. That's a good, that's good. Mm. I like that one. Uh, here's a good one. Faulkner said this about Hemingway. You've got a stink face, Hemingway. <laughs> he said, I've never known him to use a word that might send a reader to the dictionary. And Hemingway said on Faulkner, does he really think big emotions come from big words? Okay. Mm. I'm just not a big fan of Hemingway. Okay. Here's a last one by Winston Churchill. He said he of I I don't know who he was speaking about, but it's the quote that's famous, not the person. It's me. He has all of the virtues I dislike and none of the vices I admire. Yeah, he was talking about me. Oh, you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Winston You're... Churchill and I. Oh, how we used to row. You and old Winnie. Oh, we used to fight all the time. 
All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a fun one, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed it so much that you tell all your friends about it, that you share that link on and the Twitters. And you rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, of course, of course, of course. And if you liked it, you can go check out all the other shows on MaximumFun.org, as well as all the Macroid projects over at Macroid.family. Uh, important announcement, in case you haven't heard it yet, uh, Teresa and I will not be attending DragonCon this year. There's a lot of factors at play, um, and, you know, it's... A personal decision that we've made not to go, uh, but hopefully it's not a huge disappointment to anybody. I mean, if anything, it's a disappointment to us. We really were looking forward to going, but it's just not the right thing to do for us right now. Um, so we want to let you know that. Uh, let's see. What else, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Brentelfloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art at SchmannersCast, uh, which is where we get all of our listener questions when our topics call for questions. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for our cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. Go ahead and join that group if you love to give and get excellent advice. And as always, we want to thank Alex, our uh, research assistant, writing assistant, all, all that All jazz. around cool person. All around great person uh and for also she reads every email please do send your topic ideas and your idioms we're always looking for idioms uh to schmannerscast at gmail.com thank you alex and you know hey if you just want to send an email that just is like thanks alex i'm sure alex would appreciate it um and that's gonna do it for us so join us again next week no rsvp required you've been listening to Schmanners. 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 Get it. I forgot. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.